Good morning, this is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, last week on the Feast of Corpus Christi, we talked about what it means to be the Church, the living body of Christ. What I want to do today is to continue, really, with this theme of body of Christ, of Eucharist, but especially with a stress on what the Church calls the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. You know, this has long been a controversial issue, up and down the centuries, what it means to say Christ is really, truly present in the Eucharist. But in very recent days, it's become literally a headline issue, because the American bishops have addressed this problem. There was a survey, you know, a couple years ago of Catholics that asked their views on various things, and they asked about the Eucharist. And the survey at least gave the impression that a lot of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. They have a more symbolic understanding of the Eucharist. So the American bishops, I think, want to address this problem and to clarify some of this uh, teaching. What I want to do is just spend you know, these 15 minutes saying a few basic things about our Eucharistic faith. First of all, this problem of real presence. Some people say, well, aren't all presences real? What's the significance of designating one as a real as opposed to more mitigated forms of presence? Well, I think in our ordinary experience, we know that there are varying degrees or intensity of presence. You know, suppose somebody told you, I heard Father Barron say thus and so. Well, I'd be present to you through that person's report, but in a very... Uh, distant sort of way. Now suppose you're hearing my words as I speak them. Well now when you hear them, I will have, uh, I said them four days earlier, and you're hearing a, a recording of my voice, but I'm much more vividly present to you than I was simply in that person's report. Now consider I'm in your living room, and I'm sitting in front of you, and I'm talking to you. Well now I'm present to you in a perfectly vivid and real and personal way. So th there are, even in ordinary experience, varying degrees of presence. The Church says that Jesus is present to us also according to varying modes of intensity. So, for example, with the Scripture we can say, wherever two or three are gathered, there am I in their midst. Whenever two or three Christians get together in prayer or study, there's Jesus with them. Sure, that's a presence of the Lord. Whenever the Eucharistic community comes together, we say Christ is present among the people. We say Christ is present in the presider, the celebrant at the Eucharist. Whenever the scripture is read, Jesus, who is the Word of God, is present, yes indeed. Yet, the church has always said there's a difference when it comes to Christ's presence in the Eucharist. This it describes as a true, real, and substantial presence. Again, think of the difference between hearing my words on tape and then hearing me speak to you directly. In the Eucharist, we claim, there is that level of personal, direct, and substantial 
presence of the Lord. Now, why do we make this strong claim? I mean, wouldn't it just be easier to say, as many have said over the centuries, sure, Jesus is symbolically present in the Eucharist, as he is symbolically in many other ways. Why do we cling to this belief in the real presence? Well, I think the best text to look at in the New Testament is in the sixth chapter of John's Gospel, the so-called Bread of Life Discourse, when Jesus talks most explicitly about the Eucharist and his presence there. Let me just read to you a couple of passages from this great discourse. I'd encourage you, by the way, take out your Bibles and look at the sixth chapter of John. You can read it easily in one sitting. Here's something from the 51st verse. I myself am the living bread, come down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. The bread I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Now, here's verse 52. At this, the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How can he give us his flesh to eat? Well, now, that question is echoed up and down the centuries. Whenever people balk at this teaching or wonder about it, well, that same question here from John 6:52 is being asked. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? What's he talking about? Now, listen to what the Lord says when he's given every opportunity to clarify this teaching symbolically. Listen to what he says. Let me solemnly assure you, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has life eternal, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood real drink. Well, again, he's given the opportunity to say, listen, what I mean here is I'm giving you my flesh and blood symbolically. He doesn't take that option. In fact, he intensifies what he said. You know, the Greek here is terrific. The word uh, that we translate here as eat is actually a very crude, almost gross term. Jesus is saying, unless you gnaw on the flesh of the Son of Man, the way an animal would gnaw on a piece of meat. So he's intensifying the claim he's making of the reality involved here. Up and down the centuries, as I've mentioned, theologians and spiritual writers and so on have tried to find ways around this dense and even gross realism of the Eucharist, proposing various symbolic interpretations. Think of Berengarius. He was a, a monk in the uh, 11th century. Berengarius said, well, Christ is in heaven, in his glorified body. We're down here below. And when we use the bread and wine in the Eucharistic setting, they become symbolically evocative of Jesus' presence. The church didn't accept that interpretation, condemned it. Some of the Protestant reformers, especially Zwingli and Calvin, proposed straightforwardly symbolic readings of the Eucharist. And the church at the Council of Trent very clearly said no to that interpretation. In the 20th century, some Catholic theologians proposed new readings of the Eucharist. They said Christ is present by transignification, as though the significance of the bread and wine change in the Eucharist. Again, the church said no. The term that we've used, at least since the 12th century, is the term transubstantiation. It's somehow in the Eucharist, the substance 
That is to say, the deepest reality, the core reality of bread and wine, become the substance of the body and blood of Christ, become the deepest reality of the Lord. That's the claim of the church. And again, the ground for it, I think, is John 6, this realism in Jesus' claim. Now, how do we begin to get at this or make sense of it? Let me appeal first to our ordinary experience. We know that words, depending on the circumstances, can change reality. Now, what am I talking about? Well, let's suppose I walked up to you on the beach or at a party and I were to say, you're under arrest. Well, those words have no power whatsoever. I have no authority to speak them. You would laugh at me or think it was a joke or something. But now suppose you just committed a crime. A uniformed policeman comes up to you. He handcuffs you and says, you're under arrest. Well, now listen, whether you like it or not, you're under arrest. His words, because they're backed up by the proper authority, have had the power to change reality. They have, in fact, made you under arrest. Or I walk up to you, or someone else walks up to you and says, I now pronounce uh, you husband and wife. You say you're with another person. Well, that has no power. That, that accomplishes nothing. But now you're standing with your fiancé before me. I'm in full vestments. We're in the middle of the Eucharist. I have the ritual book in my hand, and I say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. Well, whether you like it or not, you're husband and wife. You know, I mean, those words have changed the reality because they're backed up by the proper authority. Here's the last one, maybe a, a silly example, but suppose I'm at Wrigley Field. I got a good seat. I'm behind third base. Around second comes a, a runner, slides headfirst into third, and I have a good view of it, and I shout out from the stands, you're out. Well, that means nothing. I have no authority. Maybe he really is out, and I've seen it correctly, but my words don't make him out. But now there's the umpire right in front of me. In his uniform, in position, he sees the play and says, you're out. Well, he's out, whether he likes it or not. The umpire's words, through his authority, have changed reality. The game has to change because of what he said. Now, if our pathetic, puny words can change reality, how about God's word? God's word, which is the same as God, with all of God's power, all of God's authority. In the Bible, when God speaks, reality changes. Let there be light. And there was light. It wasn't a suggestion. It created the light. Let the earth come forth. And the earth came forth. God's word accomplishes what it says. Remember in the book of the prophet Isaiah, the Lord says, My word does not go forth from me in vain, but rather accomplishes what it sets out to do. God's word is power. Listen, you and I exist right now. Our existence depends upon the fact that God is speaking us through his word. His word is making us who we and what we are. Now, in the New Testament, this creative word of God becomes flesh. In Jesus we have, as I've often said, not just a prophet and a guru and a teacher. In Christ we have 
God's powerful, creative word incarnate in flesh. Therefore, the same thing that was true in the Old Testament is true when he speaks. Remember the daughter of Jairus who had died? Jesus crouches over her and says, little girl, get up. And she gets up. He stands outside the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes forth. He says, your sins are forgiven. And they're forgiven. He tells the storm to be calm, and it's calm. The point is, we have here now in flesh that word of God that can change reality, not just in the trivial sense that we can even change reality by our words, but can change reality in the deepest sense. Creative word. Now, consider what Jesus said the night before he died. He took the bread, and he said, This is my body. He took the cup of wine. This is my blood. We Christians believe, we Catholic Christians believe, that what Jesus says is, because of who he is, he is the word of God. Therefore, when he says, this is my body, it's his body. This is my blood, it's his blood. We know it from the authority of his word, the creative power of his word. We don't want to make this simply a symbolic reality because we know who he is. We know who he is, and that's why we know what these elements now are. What I find very humbling as a priest when I pronounce the words of consecration, these are Jesus' words, not mine. If they were mine, they would not affect this change. They couldn't. I can't change the substance of something's reality. Only God can do that. And so when I speak those words, listen again when you're at Mass, how it goes. First I narrate, the night before he died, Jesus took bread. He gave you thanks. He broke the bread. Gave it to his disciples and said, and at this point I am speaking purely the words of Jesus. Not so much reporting them, but now speaking in his person. We believe in the real presence of the Lord because of who he is. He is the word of God, and what he says is. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.